the 23rd verse says, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, said, Now they had sent from the Pharisees. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain." This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. John's testimony. When we left off, we talked about that last verse. We talked about make straight the way of the Lord. Amen. It says make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet said, the idea of that was that Whenever we have a dignitary, whenever the president, let me use it this way, whenever the president of the United States travels somewhere, there's a team that goes before to prepare the city or the place. They make sure the streets are all secure, uh, all things are paid. Everything is great. Anytime uh, any, the president or anybody of importance has come to a city, they make sure, they paint the city, they make sure the streets are clean, they do all that. And that's really what basically John is saying in that last word. That's part of verse 23 there where he says, make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, prepare the way of the Lord. Amen? And he was that person that was going to prepare the way. Now, it's interesting, in verse 24, he says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Who's the they? Well, go back to the previous verses, back up in chapter verse 19, where we were told in verse 19, and this is when the Jews sent priests and Levites. They were sent by what we now find out in verse 24. They had been sent from the Pharisees. And he says, and they asked him, let me ask you a question, John. Why are you baptizing? And if you're neither Christ, and we learned that last week, he said, they asked him the question, remember? Are you Christ? What was his answer? No. He said, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. And so now he's baptizing. They catch wind of this. These Pharisees find out that that's what he's actually doing out there at Bethany. He's baptizing. And they're asking him, really, when they say, why are you baptizing? They're really asking the question, by what authority are you doing this? Now, you're not Elijah. You're not Christ. You're not the prophet. Where did you get the authority to baptize? Historically, in the context, many times when somebody who was a Gentile converted to being a Jew, they would actually baptize them as a sign of their leaving their 
Gentile life to become totally converted to being in Jew or Judaism. Amen? So that's the background. Here's John baptizing, but he's not baptizing for them to become Jewish. It's a symbolic representation of what one who was to come was going to do far greater than just transfer them from one degree to another. So they said, what gives you the right to baptize? How can you do this? And notice what John says. John answered them, listen, I baptize with water. But there's somebody that's among you who stands. But I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. He says, Let me, listen, all I'm doing is baptizing with water. The same water I just spilled all over up here. That's all it was. It was water. Nothing about the water. We teach that even here at our church, that there's no saving property in the water. The water does not save you. You need to be saved before you get to the water. Amen? You need to come, profess, confess, repent, and then be baptized. And then we do it in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But John just lets them know, listen, I'm just baptizing with water. But, let me, but make no mistake about this. Let me, let me help you out. There is somebody that's already here that you don't even know. Jesus physically was already on the scene, but we learn all the way back in John chapter 1, he, Jesus has what? Always been. There has never been a time that he was not here. So he says, there is among us one you don't even know, you don't even recognize yet. He says, even he who comes, the person that comes that's going to manifest himself, God in the flesh, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap on his sandal. And all throughout this whole section, we've been talking about John, John's humility. Look, don't look at me, look at Jesus. That's all he's really saying. Look, I am just a forerunner. I am just, I am not the light, I'm just the lampstand. The lampstand doesn't celebrate itself. For a lampstand by itself has no significance. The only way a lampstand has any significance is if there's a what? A light on it. Without the light of the lampstand, it does no good. Now, how many of you get lampstands or little lights beside your bed or in your house with no bulb in it? It does you no good. It looks nice. And sometimes we try to fool people. We go... Oh, that's a nice light. That's not a light stand. Oh, man, isn't that great? That's nice. Yeah, light. And then you look and go, oh, there's no light in there. It grows not of itself. It only functions when there's a what? A light. That's what John said. Look, I'm not the light. I'm just the stand that's projecting the light. He says, and really be honest, I don't even deserve that. I, I can't, I, I should, I'm, I'm not even worthy to, in our vernacular, I'm not even worthy to untie his strap of his sandal. You know why you can say that? Because typically that was left when people traveled to read throughout the, the context of that culture. When they traveled because the roads were dusty and dirty, there was always a wash basin there so that if you walked and you got your feet got dirty, which 
They would if you had on sandals. The job of the lowest slave in the house, the lowest guy on the totem pole, was his job was to wash the feet. His job was to untie the sandals and wash the feet. Now I got a classic example of that this past week. I'm over here with my brother. We are working, if there's such a thing, as Hebrew slaves without bricks. We were out here from, eight, I got here, what time did I get here? About 8.30. He showed up a little later, and we were picking up all the limbs, and we had limbs and branches and trees, whatever. It took us almost two and a half hours just to do that before we could even get to cut grass. And I'm here, and then we're cutting grass, and at the end of the day, I say to we're standing at the car, he's getting ready to leave, and I had to come into church to do something. And he goes, is that you who smell, or is that me? <laughs> and I said to myself, it's probably me. So I go home. I had a guy come to church to do some work for me, uh, for us. And uh, I go, I said, he left to go get a drill, and he came back, and I said, well, why he's gone? Maybe I got enough time to get cleaned up. I go home, and my lovely wife, I, I, I step in the house, and I said, I probably stink. And she goes, oh, my God. You smell hard. It's, it's got to be your shoes. Your shoes smell terrible. Was I had taken my shoes off outside. So it's probably my feet. And she said, don't, if, if, if you don't have to walk on the floor or, or walk on the car, you know. I'm like, well, how am I going to get to the shower without walking on the floor? You know. But the job of washing smelly, stinky feet. That's what I'm saying all that for. John was showing his humility. He said, I don't even, I'm not the light. I'm just a lampstand. And better yet, I don't even deserve to untie he who is God, who is the Savior. I don't even deserve to untie his sandals. In a world where we think a lot of ourselves, in a world where we promote ourselves, John is not promoting himself. All throughout this whole section, he's been talking about, look, I'm not the guy. There's one greater than me. And I think it's in John chapter 3, he's going to say the famous words, he must increase that I might what? Decrease. So it's never been about John. It's always been about Jesus. And that ought to be true of us today. It's not about you and I. It should always be about Jesus. Whether, whether, whether you're the pastor, whether you, you in the sound room, whether you do media, whether you sing in the choir, whether you clean the church, whatever it is that you do, it ought to be, we ought to do it for the glory of God. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know anything, I have nothing to do, you have a gift or talent, you just got to find out where you are. You need to ask yourself that question and whatever it is God has given you, then you say, come to the church, say, hey, this is what I really believe my talent is. And we got, I mean, we, we, we got, hey, if you like to work in the yard, we got positions for you like ASAP yeah. right now. Amen. But John had the right perspective. He says, I'm not the guy. And he says, this person has been, he's always been, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he says, these, verse 28 lets us know, these, all these things that he's been talking about, all these took place in Bethany across from Jordan where John was baptized. Now, the, there's two some says Beth Arbor. Beth Arbor is another translation. But many believe it's another city by the name of Bethany. The Bethany, there's one Bethany where John, the, John, uh, not John, where uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. They lived in the city of Bethany. This is another city. And this is where John is baptizing. 
And it's causing an uproar because the religious folks, gotta watch religious people, they don't understand. They can't, they're asking the question, by what authority? Well, John got his authority from the Lord himself. We learned in Sunday school that Jonah was given a message by God. And that's the message he was going to have, he was supposed to preach. Whether it was popular or whether people liked it or not, that's not what Jonah had to worry about. God gave him the word that he was to tell to the city of Nineveh. You're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Not a popular message. Not one that they liked. But that was the message. He couldn't come up with his own thing. He couldn't say, well, you know, I know God said that he was going to destroy the city. But you know what? He may change his mind if you just, no, just say what I told you to say and leave the results to me. And that's what we do today. We're only supposed to give out the gospel. Plain and simple. Tell people that Jesus has come to save them from their sins. And that they are a sinner before God. But God has rescued them. God has given them a way to make it right between him and them. And what, how do I do that, preacher? Well, I need to come to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the light. I need to confess my sins. I need to repent of my sins. And then I need to say yes to him and allow him to be Lord of my life. And I'll be a disciple, a follower after him. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that by, number one, being saved. Then you learn to be a disciple and a follower by being in a church where you're taught and the word of God is preached. And you grow so that it's not you, it's Jesus. Amen? But then the next day, then John doesn't deal a whole lot with it, but if you read Matthew and Luke, you find that Jesus is being baptized. All John says, because John's th whole thing is about to show that Jesus is God in the flesh. It says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And here's what he says. This is, mark this, highlight it, whatever you need to do. Well, the, this is the, the profound statement in the book is going to be, this is what John the Baptist is saying. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look, see, the Lamb of God. Amen? This title, Behold the Lamb of God, is used only in John's writings. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. If you see that, Behold the Lamb, he's the only one that says that. All right? And this phrase right here, Behold the Lamb of God, is the first of a string of other titles given to Jesus in the remaining of this verse. These verses. In verse 38 and 49, he's called Rabbi. In verse 41, he's called Messiah. 34 and 39, he's called the Son of God. In King, in the, he's called King of Israel in verse 49, and he's called the Son of Man in verse 5. Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In that first chapter, all these titles are given to him by John. And John is the only one that says, behold, see, look, there he is, the lamb. Why lamb? Goes back to Old Testament. The lamb was used for sacrifice. 
without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The lamb was used as a sacrifice. It had the idea for the blood that was shed by by the lamb, had the idea of, of not only for the sin and separation from God, could be removed only by the blood of that sacrifice. That's what the sacrifice was for. The poor little innocent little lamb, throat was cut, blood came out, filled the basins and washed through the temple, and that was a symbolic gesture of blood. The songwriter wrote, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the what? Blood of Jesus. Amen? It sounds gory, but for God, the shedding of blood is the only means of redemption. And now, here he is on the scene, Jesus, and John says, behold, the lamb. This is the sacrifice for the sin of the world. Amen? Amen. The sin of the world. He who, know, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The perfect son of God took upon himself our sin for our behalf. Didn't have to do it, but he was. He did. And for us not to appreciate what he did, for us not to come in here on a Sunday morning and go, you know what? I ought of all people be raising my hands and shouting hallelujah because I know how bad I am. You might think, maybe you think you're all right. I don't know. The Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. There is none that wants to do right or follow after God. No, not one. It kind of clears it up. That in a world where people want to say that everything's all right. No. The Bible says there's not even our proclivity, our mindset as sinful people, even, even after you get saved, our mindset is that until we get fully redeemed and we get our new body in Christ and our new mind and all those things that he's going to change about us. But until then, we are tainted by sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and what? Come short. If you're unsaved, you definitely fit that category. And if you're saved, you know for yourself that there's times you come short of the glory of God. And you know what else he says? There is none that what? Seeketh after God. There's none that doeth the right thing all the time. Not one. Not a single person in this room. Can't raise your little flag up and say, but pastor, I did it. No, you didn't do it. Because when you raise your little flag, you just admit it. You just sin right there. I get tickled at people who like to say, we we aren't to be prideful. The Bible doesn't say Listen, it said we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It doesn't say we ought not to think about our, think we value our own selves. It just says we don't think more highly. But you don't take, you gotta have pride in what you do and pride in what you say and pride in what you have. I mean, I, I get amazed at people who have no sense of pride of the things that God has given them. 
It's not prideful to take care of your property. It's not prideful to think that you've got a certain talent or ability. If you got it, you got it. If you can sing like Luther, praise God. Anything in your, your hot petunias and your Mr. It, you just, I got a talent. I know this is what I do. I do this well. But don't think your talent is going to get you into the kingdom of God. Don't think because you're talented and can sing like Luther that gives you a special extra whatever. No, just use your talent to the glory of God and leave it there. And if you can sing, sing. I can't sing, so I don't try to be like Luther. Somebody says, I hear my wife, she says amen. Say, thank God he didn't sing. But yeah, behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb. Not of himself, but God. God the Son obeyed God the Father. Because God the Father asked the question, who can go down and redeem man in the Godhead? He looked at man after he sinned in the garden. He said, man, my next step is to destroy man. And he did with the flood. And now a whole new generation has come. And in the end, what's going to happen? The next time he said, listen, I destroyed the world by fire or by water the first time. But the next time I destroy the earth, when he comes again, he's destroying the earth by fire. When God finally gets to the point where he says, that's it. I'm done. I've been patient. I've tried to get people to come before me and, and, and know who I am and serve me. But I'm done with man. I'm really sorry that I, I had to do this. But I, I, I've, I've waited. And he's done waiting over a couple thousand years so far. But one of these days, God's patience is going to run out. The church is going to get called, and then we go through all the tribulations, and then God's going to say, I am, this is it. I'm, sending, I'm establishing my kingdom, and everything will be perfect forever and ever. But we're living in a time that now's the time to come to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, you need to, do it. You need to come, not just come down the aisle and say, I want to join church. I ain't talking about that. Too many people join church. I'm not interested in you joining church. I'm interested in you being saved and coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and saying, I want to be saved from my sin. I repent of my sins, and I want to live, and I want to be a disciple of Christ. That's first base. Because the church is filled. Churches are filled with people saying, I want to join church. That doesn't mean nothing. Now, I know we could say, well, pastor, what they really mean is they want Jesus. No, you need to know Jesus first, and then the church automatically follows. You cannot have one without the other. It's an impossibility. If I have Jesus, I have all the salvation that I need. I don't have part of the Godhead. I have the whole Godhead. I got the Father, I got the Son, and I got the Holy Spirit. Likewise, when we're saved, we get all that we need to live the Christian life. And if we don't, that's not God's problem. That's our problem. Maybe we had a miscarriage. Maybe we were born conjoined or whatever it is. It's a problem with our birth. But you need to know that for yourself. That if God has saved you, then you could be like John. And how did John know that Jesus was the Lamb of God? Because he got the word. Listen, when you see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, come upon the Messiah. Here's the operative word, like a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. For all of you who have symbols on your car with the Holy Spirit, the little dove thingamajigger, it doesn't say he is a dove. He says he will be like a simile. 
similar to, but not a dove. When that appears, then you will know that Jesus is the Messiah. He who takes away, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. John says, after me, after I was born, there comes one who was even before me. How is that possible? He was God. John the Baptist was born before Jesus. Remember Elizabeth and Mary? So John was born first, but he says, well, even though he was, he was before me. Even though I was born before him, he was, he was here before I was. Oh, he was God. That's how he was there. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I can't. I didn't know who he was. I, as a mate, I read this, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Your cousins, technically, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And you would think if Mary was with Elizabeth, Elizabeth was Mary, that along the path, Jesus and John the Baptist would have rubbed elbows together. But according to this, he says, I didn't know him. Maybe they didn't. Don't know. Is that possible to be in the same family and not know family members? Well, yeah, that's possible. Some of you can testify to that. Some of us can say, yeah, well, yeah, I got cousins and folks I don't know. And so I did. that's what happened here. He said, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, for this reason, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. It's a symbolic. His baptizing was baptizing with water was symbolic of what Jesus was going to do when he actually came. Because now Jesus is not going to be baptized with water only, but now we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Amen? He says, but he, I myself did not know him, but he was sent. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is. I've seen it. I saw my own eyes this manifestation. I seen and I bear witness. Amen? Amen? You can't deny what you know for yourself. I mean, if God has worked a work of grace in you and you know it, that's something you should know for yourself. I don't care what anybody else says. You can say, I don't care what you say. I know him for myself. I've seen and I bear witness. There was a time in my life when I did A, B, C, D, but now, thanks to God and, and time and, and, and the word and prayer, some of those things have fallen off, and I'm not the same person I was five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I'm a different creature. I'm a different creation. I've been transformed. I've been made new. Because when we get baptized by the Holy Spirit, we receive power to live the Christian life. And that's all John, John, all he can say is, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. The application could be that we need to stay humble. Realize that, as John did, that all that he could say or do was because of what the Lord allowed him to do. Amen. If anything, if anybody comes to Christ under, your or my, under yours or my watch, it's not because of what we say. It's what the Lord has allowed us to say, and it catches wind with somebody else. 
It's really simple. Somebody told me years ago, listen, when the Spirit of God in me meets the Spirit of God in you, that's when we have fellowship one with another. Our spirits are aligned. We'll know they are Christians by our, they'll know we are Christians by our what? By our love. And love is not the huggy, feely, feel great. Goosebumps. That's not what he's talking about. That pa- I just read this yesterday. That passage in First Corinthians, people read it at weddings. People read it when they talk about love. But that passage is really written for the church. It really is. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, and he was saying, because read chapter 12 talks about the body, and then chapter 13 talks about love. Can the head say to the, to the rest of the body, I have no need of you? No. If your head, if all you had was a head, you couldn't do anything. Because you need arms, you need legs, you need hands, you need, you need, we need the whole body. And his analogy is, as we need the whole body to function in the real world, Christ uses us as his body so that we may function for him. And then after all that, he says, now, by the way, if you really want to talk about love, go to 1 Corinthians and read it in the context of how we deal with one another. It's just not, I mean, it's nice. If you want to read it at a wedding, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I, I ain't going to tell you not to read it. But if, if you really look at it in its context, he says, listen, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is the real deal here. You want to have love? He says, uh, let, me look, let me look at here. He says, uh, if I have faith, if I give away all I have and, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am gaining nothing. Here it is, verse 4. In the context of the church, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant for, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Love never ends. If as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that perfect comes, the partial will be passed away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I grew up, when I matured, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So now, in the context of we in the body of Christ, so now faith, hope, love, abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Can't do any better than that. How you deal with me, how I deal with you, is in the context of 1 Corinthians 13. Amen? Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Puts up with. You put up with me, guess what? I have to put up with you. There's things I do, you just get irritated about. That's good, that's not good, but hey, it's part of life. But guess what? As I irritate you, you irritate me. Or you irritate somebody else. We just have to learn to let the irritations not be so big that we don't do what God wants us to do. Because in the end, it's not about my irritability and your irritability. It's about, listen, love says, I have to pray for and, and, and deal with, it, it starts with me first. Then, 
And if, if you're irritated, then the best thing to do is if you have a scratch, you got to do what? Itch it. So maybe you need to go to somebody and say, I got, I got a scratch, brother. I got some, I got some problems. What's that? You're really irritating me. Can we talk about that? If we're mature enough in Christ, see, that's the whole problem with the church today. We, we, we got to mature. We got to grow up. We got we, we to be willing to say, hey, as much as he gets on my last nerve, did I ever think I'd get on his or her last nerve too? Well, yes. You do that in your own family. Are there ever times in your own family that somebody in your family irritates you that you just... When they come to your house, at the moment they come, sometimes, not all the time, because you really love them, but when they show up, you're just like, I just, why? I just don't. Why now? You've never had that happen. In your house, if I show up or whoever, it's just like, oh, man, this is not a good time. Oh, it's Uncle George. He's loud. He's, you know, he just... Messes up stuff. Oh, man, God. But what do you do? Come on in, Uncle George. And then you do what you got to do. But you're, you're praying the whole time. Well, I'd be glad when they leave. And then when they leave, you tell, thank you, Jesus. And you may never go to their house, and you pray they don't come back to your house. Amen? Amen. But we get over that. We, 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 we move on. And a lot of times in life, in a church body, we got to learn to move on. We love, listen, we are to love everybody because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. But let's be honest with each other. Some of you do, really don't want me to come to your house. I mean, if I come knocking some doors here in the future, you'll be like, no, pastor. You'll come to the front door and we'll step outside and we'll stand on the porch. Because you're like, uh, I don't why is he here? You'll treat me like you do the other people that come to the doors. Shh. Keep it right quiet. Maybe he'll go away. <laughs> Amen. Well, you know that's how we are sometimes. I was cooking breakfast a few years ago. Had my pink, had my uh, uh, French toast on the stove cooking, and some person, one of those cults, came knocking on my door. I said, I don't have time. My, my, my toast is burnt. I smell it burning right now. You need to move on. No, I'm not interested in your book. I don't want your tracks. Thank you. But, sir, no but. I got to go. All in the name of love. And that's what God, that's what John is really letting us know. He's not the main key. He's not the main purpose. He's just to be the light. Amen. And if you and I can take that truth, be in humility, have a firm commitment, be solidly based, a willingness to follow the instructions of the word, have faith in the word of God, God will do what he says he will do. And have a boldness of speech. Be willing to be bold for the Lord. Some of us have no problem being bold for ourselves. We will tell somebody what we think in a moment. Well, I'll tell you what, I ain't going to take that. Take that same boldness and use it for the Lord.
As bold as we are about a lot of things, let's be bold about Jesus. I'm not talking about, you don't have to wear a placard and don't have to walk around shouting with, we were, where were we at the other day, Sid or whoever? Oh, we went to Hillsboro yesterday. They had a little church was there with the guy had the Bible he was preaching. Folks had signs up, you know, about people going to hell and all that. Which is fine. I'm not going to debate the issue about doing that. I mean, you ought to do all that. But wherever you are, wherever we may be, share the good. Is this not good news? How could John do this? It was the best news he knew. And he just said, listen, there's one coming. And we're going to learn in the next few weeks, Jesus is going to start his ministry, and, and people are going to misunderstand everything he was about because they didn't get it. Amen? And as they didn't get it then, many times people don't get it even now. So we just need to say, Lord, help, help me to be clear, help me to be precise, and help me to glorify you. For in the end, that's what I want to do. I want to bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. In the life of John the Baptist, we want to be humble. We want to show humility. We don't want to be the light. We just want to be the lampstand. We want you to plug into us and allow your light to so shine that people might not see us, but see you. And the works that we do, they're not of our own. They're really all about you. Bless in this place right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.